Amen. Amen. Thank you. How many of you have heard the term control freak? How many? No, I'm not going to do that. I know we joke about the reality of a control freak, but most control freaks actually are unaware that they are. I don't know if you know this or not, but here's something that you might not know, at least many of you may not have known. There are various degrees of control freaks, and in reality, all of us vary on that spectrum. There are extremes, and there are very gentle control freaks. Most important thing that I want to tell you this morning is this. Be careful of confusing those who have the spirit of control with those who are diligent workers. We often confuse the two because there's a world of difference with someone who is actually a control freak and someone who has just been diligent and conscientious and lives up to their responsibility and they're faithful in their life and in their service. So I'm hoping by the end of this message that you will get those two unconfused. (laughs) I want to explain the difference between the two, the difference between diligence and controlling. Uh, Living up to your responsibility means that you are diligent, that you redeem the time, that you are faithful in meeting your obligations, and that cuts across the board, whether as a parent uh, or whether it is in ministry or it's in your profession or it's just being a faithful husband and wife. All of our responsibilities in life, we are to be diligent, to be thoughtful, to be hardworking, and to be responsible. That's very different, very different from being controlling. Controlling often comes from a severe case of uh, insecurity, which is, comes out of anxiety. Controlling is out of a desire to take credit for everything. Uh, controlling comes out of being more concerned about image and reputation than with reality. Furthermore, controlling people work overtime to manipulate others and to manipulate situations and to manipulate circumstances uh, to make them go their way. Uh, Controlling people often try to engineer situations uh, to their advantage. Controlling people convince themselves that the world is going to fall apart without them. I remember saying to the congregation years and years ago, that I have submitted my resignation as God's deputy in the world. For I used to be. (laughs) They think that the world is going to fall apart if they're not in charge. (laughs) And without them, nothing worthwhile is going to happen. Hello. That without them, even God 
cannot accomplish much. Oh, they don't verbalize it that way. <laughs> They're not going to come out and say it bluntly as I'm saying it, no. But their actions portray their attitude. Years ago, I was helping a friend and who really was dealing with that spirit of control, and he was really having a high, he became self-aware, which is half the battle. He became self-aware, and he came, and I prayed with him, and we prayed, and a few weeks later, he came to me. He said, I don't know what to do. He said, I start every morning asking God to take over the control wheels, but then 15 minutes into the day, I'm back in the driver's seat. Anyone who struggled to defeat the spirit, that spirit in our lives know what I'm talking about. And the rest of you are going to get it by the end of the message. <laughs> I said all of us, to a various degree, have that spirit in us. Self-awareness is the key. It really is. Why is this important? When it comes to the issue of living by faith, why? You, you probably ask, well, why is this so important in the life of sanctification and the process of sanctification that every one of us must walk through? Why is this so important when we desire to live with and in the power of the supernatural? Why? Now, I often answer questions like this from my own personal testimony. Uh, I, you often hear me say this, that I don't preach at you. I share my own experience with you. What does being a control freak to do with faith living? Oh, a great deal, as I'm going to show you in a minute. A great deal. This is very important and so sensitive that I want you to really hear me right. Do not misunderstand me. Because the controlling spirit, first of all, it's not from God, but it is faith, number one enemy. Faith, number one enemy. A controlling spirit is the biggest hindrance to the supernatural work of God in your life, in your home, in your community, in your church. A controlling spirit can overwhelm faith Every time, every time, unless it's dealt with. A controlling spirit leaves no room for God, no room for faith to operate. But there's more. A controlling spirit ruins relationships. It really does. A controlling spirit causes all forms of headaches. A controlling spirit causes loneliness. A controlling spirit ultimately squeezes God out. Now, those of you who have been hearing me for a long time, you know my own definition of ego, right? Some of you remember that. Ego, and I, you know what the definition is, but here's a Yusuf definition. Do you know what ego stands for? Edging God out. You want to say it with me? Edging God out. That's my definition, and I'm sticking to it. Now, I want you to turn with me to the Second Kings, the book of Second Kings, chapter 4, 
beginning at verse 38. In fact, it's a very short passage, verses 38 to 41, Second Kings. And if you um, want to uh, find it in your pew Bible, if you don't have your own Bible with you, page 576, 576. And as we've been doing, when it is a short uh, passage, we read it together so that we allow it to sink deep into our hearts and minds. And so I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of God's Word as we're going to read this very short passage together. Start. I was supposed to read another verse, but <laughs> let me read it just in case, okay? Um, to put into the pot, he put the flowers, and he said, give it to the people to eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. That is the verse we just read. Father, without your Holy Spirit, who authored this, these words working in us, might as well go home. Without the Holy Spirit taking the words that He authored in this book, apply them to each of our lives, every one of us without exception, and the pastor ahead of everybody else, we're wasting our time this morning. But we came here not to see a man, not to hear a man, but we came to have an encounter with the living God. I am pleading with you not to disappoint us. In Jesus' name, amen. Here is an example of how the controlling spirit brought about an intrusion upon God's supernatural provision. Think about this, and I hope that you reflect on it even after the service. As often the case, that intrusion upon God's supernatural work always brings misery, always brings pain, and even death. Here's an example of how a controlling spirit tries to improve on God's plan and God's purpose and how that improvement can have a deadly prospect. Here's an example of how a controlling spirit can hurt not only the individual, uh, himself or herself, but also a family, a community, and even God's work. As I've been doing in this, uh, this series of messages, 
I want to reiterate this historic incident in a story form, in a narrative form, so that our young people, everybody can follow it. Okay, here we go. First of all, there was a famine. Can you say that with me? There was, don't miss that. <laughs> the land of Israel often suffered from famine because they were totally dependent on rain, and if the rain doesn't come, famine sets in. Where I grew up, just a few miles away in Egypt, we did not have rain. In fact, I haven't seen rain until I was an adult <laughs> because we are dependent on the River Nile. And you think of the sovereignty of God of all the land. He did not give them Egypt. He gave them Canaan <laughs> so that they may be totally, thoroughly dependent on Him to send the rain. With famine, always a terrible suffering. We saw some of that last week. Now, none of us, I doubt, in this generation anyway, in my previous generations, they may have experienced famine, but we don't. We, we don't. We've never experienced physical famine, at least that generation, my generation. Oh, but we have experienced spiritual famine. I have experienced spiritual famine. Not physical famine, but spiritual famine. And that is why I often warn myself, and I, I warn everybody who would listen. <laughs> I often warn myself that during stressful time in life, whatever circumstances you're going through, stressful circumstances in our lives, be very careful because stressful times can either bring an opportunity to trust God more or you open yourself up to a disaster. During stressful time, either it can be an opportunity to exercise trust in the faithfulness of God or a doorway to calamity. Back to the story. There was a Bible college in Gilgal, a seminary. That seminary was established by Elisha's predecessor, the prophet Elijah. And they were going through a stressful time. As I said, times of famine are very stressful. The prophet Elisha, who succeeded Elijah as president of the seminary, uh, was on the road preaching and maybe raising money like most seminary presidents do. <laughs> they go on the road, raise money for the, for the school. They're raising money for whatever he was doing, he was away from college. He comes home to Gilgal, back to the college, back to the seminary, to check on the students and he found them at that moment going through a very stressful time. So he steps out in faith and tells his assistant Gehaziah, remember him? Actually, next message, you're going to see Gehaziah in 4D, not 3D, 4D. <laughs> I'm going to show you. So he tells his assistant, he said, find out a big pot and prepare a big, nice stew, enough for all the students so they can eat. 
Now, <laughs> those of you who are brilliant, which is most of you, intelligent, most of you, bright, which is all of you, alert people, which most of you, you're listening to me and you're saying, time out, Michael, time out. Just wait a minute. You have just said, or the Word of God actually said it, I didn't. <laughs> there was a famine. There was a what? Well, how in the world would Elisha says to Gehaziah, to his assistant, go and get the biggest pot and prepare a stew, and it's enough for all the seminarians to eat? How in the world is this happening? Well, the answer is, do you remember the title of this series of messages? What is it? Come on, let's say it together. Now you got it. I told you you're bright. I'm not flattering you. It's a fact. Beloved, listen to me. Most of you know my heart. And I want you to listen to what I'm going to tell you. Always, not sometimes, always, God makes a provision for His faithful ones in tough times. God always, always refreshes His righteous ones in the times of suffering. He may not remove the suffering, but He will refresh you in the middle of the suffering. God will always prove His sufficiency to His faithful children in times of need. God will always honor those who honor Him. God will always be a light to His faithful ones in the midst of their darkness. God will always bring water out of the rock to His faithful children. God will always multiply and increase the very little that you have for those who trust Him. But this is not only my testimony. It's a testimony of many people here in this room. I know, I know you well enough to know. I want to tell you something. Please don't ever forget what I'm going to tell you. If you have a pen and you're writing, write it down. I know I don't care what anybody says, okay? I can tell you on the authority of God's Word that God has been, is, and always will be in the miracle business. Listen to me. God always, God never gets out of the miracle business. Even in the midst of calamities, even in the midst of natural disaster, even in the midst of judgment, even in the midst of stressful times, God always will move on behalf of His faithful children. Oh, His timing may actually I can say probably with confidence, always differ from mine. <laughs> and I'm sure it differs from yours. But He will always come through. If you don't believe me, think, walk with me in Bible land. Look at the map in the Scripture. When famine struck Canaan, that would have wiped all of the children of Israel 
and those are the men and women through whom God was going to bring the Messiah. They would have been wiped out, but God already sent Joseph ahead of them to Egypt so that to ensure their survival. In the book of Exodus, when the entire Egyptians were living in darkness, even in the daytime, God had light in the community of God. In 1 Kings, when there was a famine that struck the land because of the wickedness of King Ahab and the evil uh, Queen uh, uh, Jezebel, God provided supernaturally for His servant Elijah. It would take me hours to just give you example after example after example from the Scripture. Psalm 81.11 says, The Lord will give favor and honor. No good thing will He withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Now, you notice He didn't say those whose walk is perfect, because <laughs> that disqualifies all of us. He said blameless. Blameless doesn't mean perfect. Blameless means that you're walking humbly before God. Blameless means that you're trusting in God with, with whole, your whole heart. It means that you are faithful, believing in God and in God's promises. Several years ago, I read this true story about an African evangelist from yesteryears. His name was Jawa Mboxi. In the African language, they don't have vowels, so it's M-B-O-X-Y. Mabaxi was, was an evangelist, but he really felt led of the Lord to go into a tribe where cannibalism was still practiced. So he goes in and preaches Christ, and then a large number of people were converted to Christ. Many of them came to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Huh. With the result, there was no rain for a few months. All the years that they have worshipped idols, all the years in which we, they worshipped nature, rain never failed, never failed. But now, now that they have turned to the living God, the rain stopped. And so they ordered the evangelist to leave the country and take his God with him. Isn't that amazing how the pagans in the media today, well, they have no faith in God whatsoever. They want to kick God out of every place, but when disaster happens, they say, where was God? Isn't that amazing? Mabaxi refused to leave. He refused to leave. So the chief warned him that unless they get rained by sunrise tomorrow, he will be their next meal. Mabaxi went into, on his face before God all night, pleading, imploring. He took hold of God, and he would not let go. And before daylight, thunder was heard at the distance, and soon rain, abundant rain, followed and refreshed the whole region. Now, beloved, listen to me. The real problem with our most, pardon, most 
postmodern Western culture today is that we, even in the church, have created a God in our own image. We have created a God who should conform to our likes and dislikes. We have created a God who should be obedient to us. We have created a God who must desire what we desire. We have created a God who never, never judges sin. We have created a God, not just our own image, but we have created a God whom we lock up in our minds somewhere, and then when we need Him, we bring Him out and then ask Him to do what we want Him to do. We have created a God who is helpless without us. Am I telling the truth? Every generation faces its own challenges. This is the tragedy of our generation today. I know in the past we used to talk about God's little helpers. Remember that? Some of you, my, you know, my generation, God's little helper. He says, God's little helper. <laughs> now we have God's big helpers. They really are. They're God's big helpers. In the midst of famine, God supernaturally provided for the seminary students. Elisha said to his assistant, go and get the biggest pot and make a delicious stew. Beloved, listen to me. This is where the story should have ended. This is where this incident should have come to an end and now we should be reading that these company of prophets, these seminarians, were eating and praising God and rejoicing and saying, thank you, Lord. This is where it should finished. This is where it should have finished. They're eating and praising God for His supernatural intervention. Oh, but no. No, 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 no. Verse 39. <laughs> A control freak. Well, that's a use of translation. A big ego would not be satisfied with God's provision. He had to improve on God's provision. <laughs> he has to intrude on God's provision. He has to modify the miracle. He had to get the credit for only God should have taken the credit, all of the credit, without exception. I want you to imagine with me, just imagine with me, here's that pot of stew, and I'm going to make some of you hungry, but don't you leave the church today. Don't leave after I finish. Some of you do. I don't want you to leave today here. But he's, I mean, he's smelling this thing cooking, and in the midst of famine, this just smelled fantastic. <laughs> and the Bible said one of them. Can you say one of them? There's always one of them. <laughs> Verse 39, one of them. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> A lot of conviction all over this room. I can feel it. <laughs> one of them. Went out and he found some sort of wild berries. So he gathered it and he puts it in the lap of his stuff. Again. The more the merrier. The more the merrier. And he comes in, goes into that pot of stew that absolutely smelled fantastic, and he dumps it in there. God can't do the miracle without me. Come on. Hello. 
he probably said to himself, <laughs> how can you call that a stew without my additional ingredients? <laughs> I'm the one who's going to make the difference. God might have provided, oh, but not without my help. So he brings his goodies, and he tosses them in the pot. You know, I told you in the last message, those of you who are here, remember, I told you that if you don't have a sense of humor, if you really, if you really can't laugh, you're missing out on a great theology <laughs> of the Bible. It really is. you got something wrong with you. Come, I, I'll help you out, because I'm telling you, as God my witness, I laughed all week long about this. It may be tragic, and it is tragic, but I laughed. I laughed so much. Every time I thought of the text, I laughed. Do you know why I laughed? Because that was me. That was old me. Because that would have been me without the work of the Holy Spirit in me. If you become so uptight, as soon as I start talking about control freaks, it's okay. It's okay. Relax. Don't get uptight. Breathe. Take a breath. It's okay. I'm glad you got uptight <laughs> because it means that God is going to deliver you today. Hello? God is going to set you free today because God wants you to fully trust Him today as you faithfully and diligently work for Him. But this guy, he just couldn't stand God doing something without his help. <laughs> he could not stand that he should be just a recipient and not the provider. He couldn't stand being the child. He wanted to be the father. He couldn't stand being the servant. He wanted to be the master. He couldn't stand being the guest. He wanted to be the host. He saw so he wanted to improve on God's provision, and he wanted to get some credit. Ooh. Unbeknown to him, what he did is that he poisoned the pot. He poisoned the pot. He wanted to add to God's provision. And what he added was death. What he added to God's miracle was a disaster. He just couldn't understand that God could accomplish anything by himself. So what happened? His controlling spirit neutralized the miracle. Neutralized the miracle. Please listen to me. Please listen to me. I know of what I'm talking about. I really do, and some of you do too. You see, what God wants you and you and you and me to give Him room to work. God wants you to only meet the conditions of the promises, and He will do the rest. God wants you to trust Him and to trust Him with all of your heart. By the way, you see this throughout the Scripture. You see, it's throughout the Scripture, and the Scripture warning and warning and warning and warning and warning. And Paul said that these things in the Scripture are warning to us. Let's bow our heads in prayer, please.
Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we lift up our brother who is not feeling well right now. We ask for a supernatural intervention. Father, only you in heaven know what's going on. And you have taught us, and the very Word is teaching us that we need to trust you with our whole heart, and we do right now. And so, Father, we ask you for your work to be done. And as others are ministering to him and medical doctors and others, I pray, Lord God, that you, you touch him. Lord God, we are here about your business. We are here about your work. We hear about your word. And even if the enemy, who does not like to hear this, we ask you to bind him in Jesus' name. We ask you to set your servant free. Father, we are not asking for the natural but the supernatural. Thank you, Zach. Would you turn to your neighbor and pray with him or her? If it's your spouse, if fine. If it's somebody else, that's fine. Just uh, get together and pray. And uh, let God hear us from heaven and answer our prayer.
supernatural. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Mm. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, the God is testing us to pray for the supernatural in the middle of the message. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Where I left off is that in the Scripture, we see a number of people who have tried to poison the pot. Cain wanted to worship God his way not God's way. And he poisoned, in a fit of jealousy, he killed Abel. He poisoned the pot. The sons of Aaron, you remember, the brother of Moses, the first high priest of Israel, the Levite high priest. The sons of Aaron brought about a strange fire instead of waiting for the heavenly fire to consume the sacrifice and they brought death and disaster on the Israelite community. They poisoned the pot. You see it throughout the Scripture. Eli, the high priest in the time of Samuel, you remember his sons were worshiping God their own way. They were actually rebellious, but they were trying to steal the sacrifice, and God brought defeat upon Israel. They poisoned the pot. King Saul wanted to sacrifice to God his way, and he brought disaster upon Israel. He poisoned the pot. 
In the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira conspired to lie to the Holy Spirit and take matters into their own hands, and they brought their own death. They poisoned the pot. Anytime any of us try to get in God's way, we poison the pot. Beloved, I have confessed to you many times, and I tell confess again that it is my testimony that the times that I ran ahead of the Lord and did not wait in prayer and fasting until I got my marching orders from Him every time, not just some of the time, despite of the ruling, overruling grace of God, but every time I've done that, I made a mess of things. But here's the good news. Here's the great news. In fact, here is the most fantastic news of all. And if you heard everything I said and you missed this one, you have missed everything. Here is the great news, verse 41. Elisha said, bring me some wheat flour. And he took the wheat flour and he threw it in the pot and he neutralized the poison. You see, what is this all about? Listen carefully. In the Scripture, flour is a type of Christ and His resurrection power. Our Lord, resurrection power was a result of the wheat, the grain of wheat Himself was grinded and crushed on the cross of Calvary. Remember, Jesus said in the Gospel of John, unless the grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will not produce harvest. He's speaking of Himself. Jesus was speaking about His cross. Jesus was speaking about His redemptive death upon the cross. And beloved, listen to me. I'm getting close to the end. The resurrected Jesus is the flower that removed death from the pot of our life. Jesus is the flower that brought life out of death. Jesus is the flower who put an end to man's effort of salvation. Jesus is the flower that put an end to man's desire uh, to uh, say, be saved by his good works. Jesus is the flower that ended the power of the ceremonial law. Jesus is the flower that raised us from the death of spiritual death. Jesus is the flower that saved us from a disaster and the disaster of tempting for self-salvation. Here's the flower. Well, give Him glory. Give Him glory. Give Him glory. Give Him glory. And that is why only the resurrected Jesus can deliver you and you and you and me from the controlling spirit. And that is why only the resurrected Jesus has the power to nullify the power of self that sometimes try to reign supreme. Will you let that wheat flower, the resurrected Jesus, come into the pot of your life now at this very moment and resurrect your life from whatever, whatever you are, and wherever you are, God knows where you are, and God wants to minister to you today. And as we go to prayer, tell the Lord, please. Give me that flower of the resurrected Jesus so that he may neutralize the poison 
and whatever poison that it may be in the path of your life and my life. Shall we pray together? Father, we are so grateful to you. You heard our prayers. You hear our prayers. You will hear our prayers, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. And you're a faithful God, and you always be faithful to your promises. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for even a miracle happened in our midst. Our brother was able to stand up and get out. And I thank you, Father, for your grace. It is you. It is you. It is you. 100% you. And we stand here. We sit here to give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Would you stand up and praise the Lord with us?